Vote for your favorite K-pop of 2022. Visit 17karatkpop.substack.com for the link, and the results will be revealed on a December episode of the show. And please subscribe while you're at it, 17karatkpop.substack.com. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to 17 Karat K-Pop. Today on the show, a quick recap of Dreamcatcher's storyline so far, and then my thoughts on the overall release, the latest addition to their discography, which I name one of the best new releases of October. Fly High kicks things off at this boarding school, and I believe the girls, this is my theory, all interpretations here are my own, I believe the girls are ghostly spirits. They are just spirits, they're not just flesh and blood humans. And they want to get revenge on their past selves or the people who did their past selves harm. That's why the video ends with stabbing this photograph. They're going through a lot of spooky rituals, a seance of sorts. The fixation on one particular spider just made me think maybe the concept of reincarnation is introduced here. As well as parallel worlds, maybe a metaphor for the beyond, like they're in purgatory right now and to make it fully to the other side and not just haunt the in-between state between dead and alive, they have to go through the mirror. The mirror is just left out in the woods. They also sing about this mirror and the dangerous rainbow, in their words, on the other side of it. They're tempted to cross over, not knowing what danger awaits, but being very tempted to find out. One guy who is trying to find these haunted spirits is using a spellbook as his navigation for that, trying to find clues in a spellbook. So in the Goodnight video, he's after them, as well as others in black hoods and masks, these caped evil figures searching through the woods for them. They end up, long story short, taking the spellbook from him. By grabbing it through the mirror, they start setting fire to its pages. This is sort of part of their voodoo doll-esque ritual. As they burn pages, the man who is now in this study, this library, sees chaos all around him. Papers flying everywhere, flames everywhere. The room is being messed with like a tornado is whipping through it. As the girls cast their spell, basically, to trip him up. The video ends with a role reversal. The man is trapped behind the mirror, and the girls are the ones in the black hoods walking through the woods. But they leave open the possibility of more drama in future installments because they, I think, accidentally leave the spellbook on the ground in the woods and walk away from it. So they probably thought, eh, he'll never get out of the mirror and reclaim that book. We'll be fine. I wouldn't have placed that bet. Sure enough, he's back to looking for them in the video for Chase Me. The girls actually don't seem to like retreating to safety, and they go back to mess with him. They're getting cocky now, and they use this teddy bear as this voodoo doll substitute. They also just kind of poof in and out of rooms as the lights flicker. They're really playing tricks on him. He's also clearly very frustrated because he looks at security footage and sees the girls in rooms he had just searched for them in. He's like, what? I was just there. They weren't there. How'd they get in? I guess he forgot their ghost, that's how they got in, but whatever. He uses an axe now, now he's getting angry and violent, to break down a door because he thinks he sees the girls on the security footage in the room behind the door he breaks down. But when he opens the door, all he finds is their picture. Then an eerie, music box, noise-filled scene unfolds, a slow-mo flashback of sorts to the girls just having a pillow fight. La la la, nothing to see here, just sweet innocent girls having a wholesome pillow fight. The drama is amped up in you and I. 
where there's this pentagram ritual, hands from one of the alternate worlds made out of smoke trying to grab them, hidden enemies still abound. One girl tries to take a picture of an older woman, but ends up basically petrified, like frozen by the woman's glare. There are also other people in their midst who aren't afraid to use dark magic. This is not one-sided warfare. The two biggest things about the video, though, to remember for later, are that Dami is in a globe, like a snow globe, a glass dome. And that before they can jump into the portal, into another world, it closes up. They're too late. The girls have lyrics like, Deepened lucid dream and caught in a trap in what? Where the girl is in a room that looked like someone was doing the voodoo spells on it previously because it looks like a tornado ripped through it. Someone was messing with it. They may have thought they were out of the woods, literally and metaphorically, and came out on top, but the symbolism of this crown on fire left on the ground, that symbol indicates otherwise. The forces against them keep gaining strength, and the stakes keep getting higher, now that the the more ideal world they have been blocked off from, because the portal closed. Piri keeps that going. Piri means flute, and they're basically sounding the alarm, saying, hey, it's time for a big, big final battle, which is why this album is called The End of Nightmare. The final boss level is here, basically. They can see they're so close to defeating the evil, despite the heightened danger, that they can see it and touch it. And they see mirrored versions of themselves literally coming into focus. Yuhyun tries to blow the horn, sound the alarm, but black liquid starts spilling out of it and she drops it and screams. Then later ends up seeing another version of herself upside down from her. Shayun is confused. She's trying to escape, but she keeps ending up back where she started, like a, a maze in a loop of sorts. Handan has her own horror to deal with, a room full of clocks that start raining all at once. That is a nightmare. Jiu actually goes up close to her alter ego, who sits next to her, at first covered with a veil. She also sees another version of herself on TV. Sua moves close to the mirror after walking past a room full of potential voodoo dolls. Dami's running through a maze of tunnels and shadow-lined halls. One hand tries to pull her away. Later, a hand that reaches out to grab them is actually a human arm, no longer just made of smoke. The threat is more tangible now. There's Gahyun in a room full of wall phones, and she looks terrified of whatever evil message someone's giving her on the phone, maybe a nod to the Scream movie there. If you also pay attention closely in that scene, you'll see a red manicured hand covers her mouth. Her hands don't have a red manicure, so that's how you know someone else snuck in and is covering her mouth, ready to kidnap her. They sing about the day I abandoned everything on Deja Vu. The smoke continues to follow them everywhere, the black smoke, but they reclaim their literal throne. The end of the video shows this throne positioned between two moons, two worlds. So they did it. They found the fusion point, the connecting hallway of sorts between dimensions. They start really reminiscing about the good old days before they felt like they had to freaking dimension hop to survive in the rose blue video. Smiling, running around a grassy field. The girls fade away, though, if they try to reach out to each other after the flashback's over. At the end, they end up trapped in a giant purple crystal. One of them, and the other surround it. Symbolic forces continue to try to silence them and just attack them in Boca. Key symbols include the white bus with red tape over their mouths, 
the bow and arrow that shoots into a different scene from one location to the next, and a guy in a theater mask that looks very, very creepy. The girls officially are in hell, not heaven, or purgatory in the video for Scream, talking about the day the light didn't come, and now the devil eyes are here. The portal is too, though, so they can escape. It's in the hole of an old tree. Although the corresponding power for the new world that comes from that floating gem one of them was trapped in before continues to be too powerful for them to hold on to, and it eventually combusts before they can really grab it. The girls end up walking away from the tree that holds the portal in Black Hoods, the Black Hooded Capes. So again, parallel worlds here, and they are mirroring the walking through the woods with the black capes seen from an earlier video. Not tons to say about Adai, just that that video continues to show the members kind of take charge, flex their powers, and face counterforces. That theme continues in because they're surrounded by the people in black cloaks again, one girl's trapped in a birdcage before throwing it off her head. They start even getting paranoid about each other being the enemy, reaching for each other's throats. They also are at one point reflected upside down, just another reminder of the parallel worlds here. Walking by a cracked mirror shows a different member's reflection in it. An apple is passed onto them through the cracked mirror. And there's another event that mirrors the earlier eras with that teddy bear. Not used as a voodoo doll again, but still notable, they're back sitting around with a teddy bear. They really step into their power and a new dimension, this time kind of a Greek goddess aesthetic, so I think now they're in heaven for Mason. But ironically, it's about climate change and the world going to heck. But they have the chance to save it, which is, what could be better than that? So, a blue portal is what shoots them down, presumably from heaven, where they control things like Greek gods and goddesses up there. And now these goddesses have been sent down to handle the city in ruins. Now this is why I said, remember Dami trapped in the globe, because now she's one of the most in-control members in some sort of control room, getting people to levitate, do stuff unconsciously, all with waves of her hands. She's very take-charge now, almost like her time in the globe was her charging station or something. Still working out my theory about that, but she's a very pivotal character in this plot. Cheyenne really takes charge too. A purple blast is emitted from her hand as she charges at one of these guys in a creepy mask who sits on her throne. At the end, the classic purple portal is what is standing behind them. Now in Vision, green smoke is everywhere, and it is a freaking apocalypse. Dami continues to run the control room, and the members are kind of, maybe this is the mirroring again. Vision could be Mason reversed. Before they were in heaven, the goddesses saving the world, now they're kind of just in hell chillin' at the end of the world. Not trying to save it, but just being there. Because they don't really take up the torch down there. They just sort of allow the scene of apocalyptic conditions to unfold. They do leave their mark with a flag, indicating they're here, ready to camp out and stay as long as it takes to repair stuff, but still, I think the lack of a happy ending to that video shows there's much more to happen in their story, and it's not going to happen in the status quo conditions. Mason is part of an album meant to be a PSA, hey, the planet's on fire, let's save it. 
Vision is meant to be a action plan, a call to peaceful protest more, a call for world peace needed to help preserve our shared world. And they emphasize this PSA with a literal televised PSA in the vision video, but also the teaser images and microphone podium imagery with the album cover. So the reason I say Mason and Vision are mirrored is because they are going off of each other, but also reflecting two different outlooks. They show off a unique juxtaposition, I think, about human nature, because they have a contradiction in what they mirror. Mason takes place in the heavenly place, but that son is negative, fearful about everything going wrong. Then you have Vision in the hellish place, but the son's message there is like a, an antidote to the despair of Mason, reassuring people there's still a chance, let's hold on to hope, we can make the future better. So the contrast between settings with the reverse lyrical tones, just a really interesting statement. I think they'll continue to play with those juxtapositions in future videos. Always when you check out a new one of their videos, think about the ways it compares and contrasts to past eras, because they're all connected. Basically, their story started with them just messing with people, young, immature, just using their powers for whatever was funny, pulling pranks or, or just using them for sheer survival purposes when the enemy was less easy to beat because they were inexperienced with their power. Over time, then, their story turns into one about wielding their powers more and more wisely. That's my overall analysis of what their story is getting at. Lots of room for ambiguity, though, which is what makes it really cool and makes this group so compelling. Everyone can walk away from their videos with a different interpretation of them. Just bravo, bravo. And as for the songs, the B-sides, really worth checking out, show a cool range, and it tells this narrative arc. The intro and outro can kind of be juxtaposed too, because it starts out with this very angsty, intense rock sound. And then the outro is on a very relatively calm route instead, very at peace with the story, more mystical, a dreamy quality, now that they have a plan of action. So Mason is like the intro, and the energy of Vision is in the outro. They also just prove why they stand out as a group with those b-sides showing off their vocal skill and their unique sound. There's the alt-rock fairy tale, the really groovy song, Some Love, where they seem to reference a previous song, Locked Inside a Door, when they say, let's open the door and get out, that's in Some Love. They end with a ballad, Rain Day. It's a great variety, really multi-talented. Just keep your eyes on this group for sure, and I will surely update you in future episodes of the show. Their new album, Apocalypse, Follow Us, is out now. Don't miss it. On to the news half of this episode. Some big K-pop band-related updates. D-Crunch has disbanded. This comes actually right after Dylan left the group for health issues. And now the company just said the whole group kind of fell apart. And that's really sad. They had something special going. Ghost Dream Palace. Raven has left One Us. I don't want to get into the severe allegations, but there were some severe allegations. Those rumors started spreading October 14th. Then October 27th, RBW Entertainment issued a statement. They said he just voluntarily left. They were still actually just investigating the claims to decide what to do about him. But he decided, no, don't worry about it. Too much negative attention on the group. I'm just going to leave. And they say in their statement, they, quote, discovered false information in malicious editing and, quote, will unveil the accurate truths through a lawsuit, unquote. 
So presumably the fan just spread rumors and they'll sue for defamation. That's what they made the statement sound like. But he did leave the group and issue an apology. So much is left unknown. Meanwhile, Chu from Luna is rumored to have started her own agency called Chu Company LTD. The interesting thing about this, besides the rumor following her ever since April, that Chu allegedly couldn't do Luna schedules as much as usual because of working with a company she started with her mom, becoming the in-house director. Anyway, the most interesting thing to me about this is that BlackBerry Creative statement, Luna's company statement, is so weird. It makes it sound like they're very out of the loop. Like, well, if this rumor is true, she didn't tell them. The statement BlackBerry issued says, yeah, she didn't transfer over. So rumors of her transferring from us to that company. That's not how this works. That was not what happened. But as for the rumor, she did set up that agency. Quote, we were not aware. We are checking the facts. Unquote. It's just so interesting to me. They have to call their client and find out, did you set up an agency? They've always been quite a low-staff company, so in that sense, it's not super surprising. They don't know what each member's up to. Just seems like a very big part of her life to not check in about, so very odd situation. We'll keep you posted. Let's get to some programming updates. Hwasa is going to host her own variety show with a bunch of musicians as guests. That premieres December 17th. NCT Dream are getting a special movie. There are two nights you can watch, November 30th and December 3rd. It's going to feature behind-the-scenes footage, interviews, and performances. So it's an interview documentary slash concert film featuring parts of their show from Olympic Stadium in South Korea. Apparently, it will screen in 4D in some theaters with a 270-degree field of view. I couldn't find any 4D listings, or even just 3D, to settle for in my area, so I don't know how many places are actually going for the 4D route, so just be prepared to be disappointed with that. Also because 4D should mean you even get sprayed with water, you get the confetti blast, you get the actual elements that immerse you in the show, not just a broader field of view. More info at nctdreamthemovie.com Speaking of NCT programming, there's a new show, Welcome to NCT Universe, where the newest members will inaugurate the next class of NCT members, basically. The SM rookies will be introduced to the world, and we can get to know them before debut. The TV premiere is November 30th. The YouTube premiere was November 16th. Wouldn't it be cool if the show ends with a final episode that teases the NCT 2022 group-wide comeback? Just saying. B.I. was set to host a new DJ show. That sounds pretty cool. And the grand prize is 100 million won, which is pretty good too. This show, though, had its date pushed back, so it's going to end up premiering in January instead, and so B.I. has a scheduling conflict and can no longer host. It's called Wet World EDM Trend, maybe because it's premiering on the Wave channel. Otherwise, not sure why they're calling it that. RM Day is officially December 2nd, because not only will he drop his new album Indigo, but that's also when he starts co-hosting a new show, the premiere of The Dictionary of Useless Human Knowledge. It's a TVN show, and it is a spin-off of The Dictionary of Useless Knowledge and The Dictionary of Useless Crime Knowledge. This one is The Dictionary of Useless Human Knowledge. The stories will alternate between both imagined worlds and reality. Really curious how this comes to life. 
The panelists will include a novelist and a physicist, a novelist, a physicist, and a musician. That's going to make for a very interesting intellectual discussion. Yuki from G Idol is the MC of a new Mnet show, Mad Genius, an influencer survival show. The number of likes on a post dictates your ranking in the show. There are six main competitors, all kind of known already: Jin Jin, Yan Yan, backgrounds in YouTube, modeling, singing, dancing. These competitors are competing for a 100 million won grand prize. Even more programming news. The Golden Disc Awards announced they will take place in Thailand this year, January seventh of twenty twenty three. December thirteenth, twenty twenty two, from Japan will be the Asian Artist Awards, hosted by Jane Wanyan, and the new MCs for Show Champion Moonbin, Sana, and Very Very member Kangmin. Let's talk about more shows, award shows actually, because a new one came up that drew a lot of fan ire. I'm gonna share what happened, then get to the fan response and my own thoughts on it. Billboard announced its first ever K Billboard Awards, a mini award show live streamed on YouTube to both cap off the nine-day K Culture Festival and to just celebrate the K-pop chart achievements of 2022. The winners, if you were curious, TXT, BTS, IVE, N-Hyphen, New Jeans, and Kepler. This event got some pretty big promo, at least online. Different publications and stuff, different sites, but the fan reaction seemed to get almost more coverage. Non-K-pop focused media didn't really do much with this, not prolonged anyway. So was it a success? I mean, it wasn't a full flop. I don't know if they'll do it again though, because the fan backlash was really intense on two fronts. One is because fans said it felt very othering to just have a separate award show. You put all the K-pop acts in instead of just giving them time to shine on the main stage, basically. Others took issue with the way it was branded as a search for the next BTS. Yeah, don't use that phrase if you don't expect a reaction. Which makes me wonder if this guy actually did expect a reaction. It drove publicity, that's for sure. By now, it's predictable. If you say anything about the next BTS, you're getting backlash. There are still future plans for this, though. It may take a different form over time, and they certainly should work on the way they word the summary of the event. But future plans include in-person meetups, networking opportunities among music industry professionals. So I mean, some interesting good and collaboration could come out of this. So my thoughts about it: there are two main thoughts I have. So please hang in there with me. Let me explain. First of all, the first thing, the othering thing. I honestly, my view has kind of shifted over time. Actually, you'll probably hear it in earlier episodes of the show from years ago. I would talk a lot about my frustration with this kind of activity, the othering, seemingly using K-pop fans for clout, knowing we can really be a force to be reckoned with, driving social media chatter, driving word of mouth promo, basically incorporating K-pop into your stuff just to get the K-pop fans to give you free publicity. And I was really annoyed by that, but honestly, over time, I've just sort of made my peace with it, because there's no perfect solution. Sometimes, if they're incorporated into just the general categories of best music, fans will still say, "Well, you're just putting them in the show, so we'll actually watch it, or maybe just have a performance and not have them in the main category." But if they're not involved at all, because they're relegated to a K Billboard Awards or whatever, that's an issue too. So it's like. 
how much they're involved or not, they're always going to be accused of using K-pop fans, manipulating to get viewers. You know the expression, don't hate the player, hate the game? That should apply here. Hate is probably a strong word here, but don't hate the player as much as the game. The game is media companies do stuff like this. They do PR stunts. They do use fandoms for clout. That just happens. And over time, I've just kind of stopped getting mad about it. It just wasn't worth my energy because it's like, look, at the end of the day, my favorite K-pop artists get a platform and the people who truly know how to respect and appreciate the care that goes into K-pop how it's not just a bunch of fluff, it's really substantive, interesting work on many fronts, aesthetically, narratively, etc. People who value it as an art form will seek it out, will check out this kind of award show, and the people who are like, it's not for me, okay, guess I won't change your mind. But I kind of stopped trying or worrying. The people who are invested will check out the show. So I don't have an issue with this kind of show keeping K-pop in its own corner with K-pop fans, as opposed to being something that could have a greater exposure Because the people who like it are open-minded and will find it now. They don't need as much this kind of televised award show to give it legitimacy. I guess what I'm trying to say is the earned media is different. I used to just kind of view it as when you relegate K-pop to its own thing, that is implying the earned media is not there or being suppressed. But now I don't really see it that way. I just sort of see it as its own thing, and sometimes that translates into mainstream coverage, and other times it stays in the K-pop niche. But the othering thing on its own, I just don't view as the big deal I once thought it was. Would it be nice if more K-pop got award recognition at other award shows? Sure. But at least it's getting the attention it deserves now, globally. So I feel less annoyed when they're not invited into the main shows because they have so much appreciation worldwide now. So it's not like their hard work is going to waste. People are very invested in these groups, regardless of whether or not they're ever fully accepted as cool to like. Hopefully that makes sense, that I used to view it as a missed opportunity to relegate these groups, but now they kind of found their own way to make their own opportunities and flourish worldwide. So if the issue had just been, it seems othering to do this, okay, I get that, then don't watch the show, that's fine. But the issue I kind of agree with more is the outrage over the next BTS phrasing. Because it is made to get a rise out of people. And because it's just tired and not true. Fans have pointed out online past examples of times BTS actually overtly criticized that framing. That there's never a new us. And that when we wanted to be the next insert name here and it didn't work out, we learned we were never supposed to be them. We were only supposed to be the next us. And it's just a weird way to compare artists to say you're the next anyone. Just be yourself. They overtly said it, quote, This is part of our mission to find the next BTS, unquote. Just very unnecessary to promote an award show by saying that. The one thing I'll say to play devil's advocate is that I do think context matters here. And they say find the next BTS in the context of talking about chart rankings on Billboard. So you want to find someone who's as chart-wise, sales-wise successful. That's what they meant to say. Did that come out right? No. This statement definitely could use some edits. People are also critical of the mamas this year. Mnet issued a statement confirming that tweets will no longer count towards MAMA voting. So now the vote totals will come from streams, views, and Mnet site. 
They cite the current just instability, lack of reliability in Twitter because of Musk obtaining it, and that's a whole hour-long story we could talk about. But basically, every day on Twitter is a big question mark about what new changes will be proposed, what services might be down because the staff who kept them up was fired abruptly. We don't know what's going on. So it makes sense for an award show to say, yeah, tweets will not be a way we vote for this. That's fair, especially because about a fourth of Twitter Korea's employees have been laid off as of recording time. However, some fans think this is an excuse, and they're just trying to mask the fact they've been vote-raking. Some Super Sleuth fans say they've found irregularities in the current scoring for their faves. So they think Mama's rigging the votes, and the Musk era of Twitter is a nice, convenient excuse instead. Honestly, I think it is mostly about Musk. Vote rigging, is that happening or not? I don't know. But I really think this is at least partly genuine, their excuse about this. I don't want to have an award show if a vote system is unreliable. Yeah, it makes sense why you would want to just focus on the more reliable parts of it completely. Just because it might seem possible that they're trying to cover something up doesn't mean they are. And furthermore, if the data fans can publicly obtain shows irregularities, that means the crimes they're accused of, the rigging they're accused of, is criming out in the open. I don't think they care about excuses. They seem like they're ready to own it. Like, yeah, you can see what we're doing, like it or not. And I will also keep in mind what they said, which is, quote, data identified as fraudulent voting during the monitoring process will be excluded from the final aggregation, unquote. So the irregularities fan spot could be irregularities pre-vetting. This isn't over yet, so of course it's in flux. So yeah, keep that in mind. It could be a multifaceted reason, but I do think it is a big reason. If a fourth of Twitter Korea staff is gone, odds are the kind of people who would be there to vet the validity of votes for any award show is gone too, or next to non-existent. Some more award show news I just want to breeze through. Remember the Mamas are November 29th and 30th. The Genie Awards were given to Lim Yun Woon, NCT Dream, BTS, G Idol, Taeyeon, The Boys, Red Velvet, Ive, Tempest, DKZ, Lightsome, and TNX. Blackpink, BTS, and Jungkook for his Charlie Puth collab are all nominated for People's Choice Awards. The live show airs on NBC December 6th. And the EMA winners include Seventeen, Lisa, BTS, Blackpink, and TXT. Thanks for tuning in today, and I'll talk to you all again very soon. Bye, everybody.